0: Okay, well, welcome everybody to Until We Get Cancelled, a show on the Magdalene Podcast Network. I'm Isaac Collins. I'm Brian Bliss. And we're joined today by Carrie Serbaugh. Am I saying that right?
1: Yep. You got it. Okay, great.
0: And we're here to try to record a real podcast that people might actually listen to other than our editors at Crate Media. Shout out to the good folks at Crate. Thanks for... uh Joining us on this project, Brian was supposed to send me a Google Doc about his show outline, but I don't think he ever did.
2: <laughs> the, the first call out, call out culture, coming into the to until, until we get canceled right away. Uh, yeah, well, the reason I didn't is because we we decided to have Carrie on, and we we're going to talk about uh, Mary Magdalene. And and as she was just saying, uh, as they were just saying before uh, this, that we have. They are full of full of the hot takes, so we don't need an outline. We just get to rest on on Carrie's hot takes about Mary Magdalene, the Church at Large, etc. So welcome, Carrie.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. First podcasting experience, so I'm excited.
2: <laughs> Us too. Uh, I can tell. F- <laughs> 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 yeah, it's showing
0: right now. Good luck to the editors, Carrie. I see though that you do have like a gamer headset on. Is that are you a professional gamer out there?
1: Oh no, this is work provided. 'Cause I'm in a lot of Zoom meetings.
0: <laughs> okay, it's tough for me to not call your employer because it's too funny. <laughs> um please don't. <laughs> I won't, I won't, I won't. So Carrie, should we get straight to the uh should we get straight to the Mary Magdalene hot takes? Let what about if Brian and I start off by talking about why Mary Magdalene was an attractive figure for us to kind of um, shape the identity of our pods around, and then you can dunk on us for being wrong.
2: <laughs> Attractive figures too. Keywords. Key this is we're already leading down a path that maybe we don't want to be, but keep going. Oh, oh God, you're right. you're right. I love
1: getting in on the ground floor of this.
2: Yes, it might be the only floor. You never know. It could. This could be it. Right here. This could be the the height and the and the depth. Right here. I mean,
0: no one has to hear this.
2: Um, <laughs> You should have heard our our post-Jerry our post uh, our post-Jerry Falwell Jr. WAP uh, podcast. That's one that will never be, ever be published because uh, I won't get ordained. Yeah.
0: I mean, we will
2: be talking about Jerry
0: Falwell Jr. in the future. So everybody stay tuned for that. Friend of the show. Uh, He is a friend of the show. <laughs> yeah. And um, we
2: may even be lucky enough to have him on. It um, might be that. He might need the... Yeah, it might be, Oh, God. One can only hope. There's probably a prayer for that in the Book of Common Prayer. I'll look
0: when he's deconstructing his faith after reading shelby's bishop shelby spong books <laughs> I want to come on the Magdalene pod <laughs> or, to talk about how he's joining
2: the Episcopal Church. Oh, God help us. Or no, it'd probably be something, I mean, to tie it into the Mary Magdalene thing, he'd probably actually start re- uh, reading uh, like the Da Vinci Code. I don't know that he would even, even go to B- Bishop Shelby Spong. He'd probably like step into um, some Dan uh, Dan Brown and be like, oh, look at this. This is what those leftists have always been talking about. I get it. I finally get it. Where should I reach out? Ah, the Magdalene network. They're, they're on this Mary Magdalene person.
0: That's right. This is this podcast is actually a psyop to uh, expose the patriarchy within Christianity and create a new cult of the sacred feminine led by Ian McKellen playing his character from the Da Vinci Code movie.
1: Oh, is he in that? I, I've never seen the movie. I've only read the book.
0: Yeah. Which is a it. horrible
1: flex to do on that <laughs> particular book. <laughs>
0: Oh, there's a movie didn't even know yeah there
1: <laughs> I was too i was this is gonna out my age a little bit, but i was I was too young to see it when it came out so
0: wait, why because your your upbringing was strict about movies,
1: I mean part that partly, but also like hold on let me let me see when this movie came out. The book came out in 2000, 2006. no, the movie came out in two thousand six, so I was. Not even allowed to see PG thirteen movies.
2: I think Carrie's that saying time. that we're old is what is what Carrie's saying. So
0: to say, yeah, the year I graduated high school,
1: I just I wasn't <laughs> the year allowed I to see. graduated
2: seminary.
1: I wasn't allowed to see it because my parents believed in like normal, normal movies for their children who were literal
0: children. Wow, wow. Well, I'm glad that we already got to Dan Brown. to To, to be completely honest, I hadn't even really made that connection at all to the Da Vinci Code.
2: Well, and I'm disappointed in myself. Yeah, I mean, frankly, I am too. But that's that's a whole other podcast. Uh, the the thing about the he like I think Dan Brown, if I'm remembering it correctly, because I'm not exactly a, I'm not a scholar when it comes to the the opuses of, of Dan Brown. But the uh, I believe like wasn't like one of the big turning points in that in that book and the movie because I, I didn't read it and see the movie. <laughs> is like that he's trying to like he's looking at like the da vinci painting of the last supper and he sees uh whoever the disciple is to the right of jesus and thinks that it's mary magdalene because uh he or she has uh feminine features and i think that was one of like the big reveals like that mary magdalene was at the table so
0: yeah i'm pretty sure that the point is like oh the person's hair is wavy and it looks like they're wearing lipstick and also because they're sitting like at an angle from each other it makes a v between them which is a symbol for female genitalia. So it's a hidden message from Da Vinci.
1: Yeah, you got it. And that's all 100% correct. It's been proven.
2: Yeah. I, yeah, I, I will say of that... The podcast. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And thus, a podcast was born.
0: I will say that uh, it's no secret why QAnon is so popular with Christians, because it all goes back to the Da Vinci Code, which I remember in 2006 and, be, and before... People thinking that it was like somehow a legitimate threat to like American Christianity and like it was going to destroy people's faith. So, <laughs> so it's so, uh, you know, so we just draw a straight line from the Da Vinci Code to QAnon and the Save Our Children post that all of the boomers in your church are sharing. And that is how you tell the story of the last 15 years and probably also about how we got drunk.
1: Listen, tune in to the Mary Magdalene Pod. (laughs) They are connecting the
2: dots.
0: I was just saying, we haven't even started talking about Jeffrey Epstein yet.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I thought I actually thought the connection you were going to make was Da Vinci Code, QAnon, and then our podcast. Like we were actually in that lineage, like the lineage of somehow like, I don't know what the lineage of not David would be, but that's it. It's right there. Yeah. Well, and I remember that too, because I was actually working in churches when this came out and it was the fervor that kind of took over uh, and replaced the Harry Potter fervor, Uh, especially I was in Tennessee at the time. But it's interesting to think about how for me, I guess I go back to the idea that, like, that Mary Magdalene would have a seat at the table as this, like, kind of this, like, radical notion. You know, it's one of those things when I was when I first watched it, I was like, I don't even understand what the hell they're talking about. Like, I, I don't get why this is such a big deal. And why is Nicolas Cage? Nicolas Cage was in the movie, Right wasn't he the main person? No, it's Tom Hanks, my man. Oh, is it? oh God, it's sorry. America's dad. That was so that was that was an aspirational thought that it was uh, this seems like a Nick Cage type of part. I'm thinking of what the other uh what do you call it? National uh, Treasure. National Treasure, yes. Well, I know I lost my thought. But I, I the idea that this is kind of like that this is the linchpin that this is all kind of resting on is just this is kind of the seeds of what this podcast is about that how how quickly somebody can go from like a, a utter lack of like biblical knowledge or at least imagination about how to think about God in the scriptures and get to this point where all of a sudden we believe celebrities are being taken over or killed and then cloned and then operating in the world as a part of some kind of massive um conspiracy
0: Wow, it got dumb so quick the <laughs> That's the story of Mary Magdalene and how it can be taken so. So, and like, just in the entirely wrong direction. And I will say that there's also a little bit, there's a chain in this involving Harvard Divinity School and the biblical scholar that got scammed into um, that, like, thinking that this piece of papyrus that had that had the text Jesus said, "My wife," that's my best Borat impersonation, and somehow it's about Mary Magdalene, and then. You know, they published this big expose and all these biblical scholars who like, yeah, it's fake. Anyway, there's somewhere that happened because of Da Vinci Code as well. So I'm just putting that on the timeline. Gary, why don't you give us your bad or good hot takes on Mary Magdalene?
1: Oh, Oh, well... Is the, so, is the Da Vinci Code really why y'all started the podcast? Oh, no, no, because no. I don't <laughs> think you ever
0: actually.
2: <laughs> Wouldn't would it be awesome if that you kind of just got like trapped into this to this thing is actually just like a Da Vinci Code fan fiction podcast? We've been lying to you the whole time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, we did not do that as a bit. Yeah, okay, so yeah, we should talk about why we're doing the podcast. So basically, Brian and I have known each other through Twitter for several years worked together in the um, the curriculum. Game. I do know curriculum game. Wow, it was such a balling game. Paid off so many student loans. Uh, editing curriculum with Brian, but you know we we felt like there just wasn't a lot out there for progressive communities of Christians or just even younger communities of Christians because. I don't even think it's always about like, I'm not quite sure how to define the word progressive, but just how can we, how can this, you know, millennial group that's trying to figure out a way to have faith that doesn't necessarily look like the faith of their parents, you know, how can they engage with scripture in a new way? Because we felt like there was just this gap missing in what was available and and we needed a new hermeneutic that takes us past this sort of, you know, the bishop spongs on one side and the, you know, literalism of young earth creationists on the other. And how can we engage with like the history of the church, politics, you know, marginalized groups and voices and and just have a more robust discussion about like what the Bible is, but without needing to go to seminary and being, uh, you know, having a PhD. And uh, <clears throat> some of this is also coming out of the fact that, in a lot of ways, what the Academy is producing, even though it's good in seminary, it's not really helpful when you're on the ground trying to talk about how are we going to get, how are these scriptures like framing us towards a deeper engagement with the life of the world. And so until we get canceled, for people who are listening to this for the first time, is a weekly pod while Brian and I kind of shepherd through a much more ambitious project, which is the Magdalene Commentary, where we're going to try to do a uh, entire audio commentary on the Bible with with community sitting down together to talk about the text. So, for instance, in Advent, the very first commentary that we're going to drop is on the Book of Ruth, and Ruth is a text that it's hard about migration, and so. I sat down with Maria Chavalan suit an indigenous Guatemalan asylum seeker who's living in a Methodist church in Charlottesville while she fights for, uh, asylum in the U S escaping ethnic persecution in Guatemala and, uh, Donna, an activist friend of mine, who's, uh, formerly undocumented and, um, from the Philippines. And we just talk about the book of Ruth from the perspective of migrant life, uh, Maria talks a lot about the connections between Ruth and you know her indigenous Mayan culture, but all of it is like, okay, who's the best person to help us connect this text in a real way to the world around us? It's someone like Maria. It's someone like Donna. Those are the voices that we want to raise up, and and Mary Magdalene is sort of a you know has become kind of the icon for all of this for us because in John twenty she preaches the first sermon. This is part of her identity in the church as the apostle to the apostles when she says, I have seen the Lord. You know, she testifies to the resurrection of Jesus from her own experience. And we feel like this scripture is accessible to everyone from that exact same basis. You know, my lived experience has, uh, allows me, empowers me to testify to the presence of God in the world, the liberating presence of God in the world in a way that, you know, as long as I'm being held accountable in community does not require me to have a PhD or to have gone to seminary or anything else. <laughs> so in some ways, it's, you know, the hope is to kind of bring biblical commentary back to the people for
2: the sake of our common life. And End of rant. Sermon over. The other thing that I was going to, I would add to that too, is like, I think there is a core level of like biblical and this goes back to the Da Vinci Code, why I kind of thought it was all funny whenever you start talking about it, is that especially with Mary Magdalene, there's a core misunderstanding of, you know, of who she was that has kind of just started like, I don't know, like 500 something or other 80 um, CE um, that, you know, I, I actually asked both my kids before we started, I was like, do you know who Mary Magdalene is? And they're like, yeah. Don't be an idiot. I was like, okay, and uh, and both of them did not start with the idea that Mary Magdalene was somehow a you know a prostitute. Which is like, oh great, parenting win. But you know, I, I feel like I could go down the road and ask five, six, seven people, and ninety percent of those people are going to lead with that's who she who who she was. And so I think there's also a part of this that is like a taking that uh, an idea of scripture from the um, perspective that we can kind of have and bring to it, but also reframing it for people who maybe need or want. That kind of commentary, either through this kind of show, which is definitely going to be much more loose in the in its outline and um and topics, but you know, through the commentary, being able to see kind of see yourself in scripture, I think, for the first time, possibly. So
1: hell yeah. <laughs> am, I, am I allowed to say that?
2: Yes. Well, yes, we've we've had we've had conversations about what the level of 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 you know, until we get canceled. Uh what's the bar? Are we PG 13? Are we 2006 carry approved? Um <laughs> we, we'd have to we have to figure uh, no. that out, but
1: that's fascinating. Yeah. I well, when you asked me to be on this, I w- didn't really know what I was getting into, but that's awesome. And I know you're talking to Chris Hoke, right? Who who works with incarcerated people on part of the commentary as well, right?
2: Yeah, Chris is going to start doing uh, one on the Book of Romans, and again, it's the idea of too of like people that are going to have very unique and specific. Not even takes, I don't want to say because they're not takes, they're coming at it from their own experience. And so him being able to do it um, and his role hopefully will be more a facilitator than commentator because... He comes at it from still from a place of you know a place of privilege and power, just as being a white guy. Uh, but the men and women that he works with having to get their voices on that is is something that's going to be pretty interesting. And we'll probably have him on the on the pod. We'll have to figure out how we do that, though, Isaac. So you know we have this, the the three three straight white guys uh, talking about the Bible. I mean that that'll that'll play with a lot of people, but maybe not with what we're wanting to do. But yeah, he's he's part of it for that reason. Don't you assume my... I- sexual I'm orientation. Sorry, I'm sorry. Yes, yes, I know. I'm sorry.
0: I'm, I'm in the UMC. So as far as anyone listening to this is concerned, you know. I'm be sorry. conformed to the Book of Discipline. <laughs> That's right. The Book of Discipline is sacred and I've taken vows to uphold it. But don't talk about me. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. Carrie, can we talk about... Well, I, I hang on. I want to give you a chance to uh, jump into Mary Magdalene takes if you want. But I'd love to bring it down into uh, bashing on the UMC if you feel up for that or, or talking positively about it in support of your parents and or anything like that.
1: Oh, yeah, either way. I mean, I think I have a complicated relationship to the UMC, but who doesn't? <laughs> That's normal, right?
2: I mean, I think there are whole conferences that don't at this point, right? Like the <laughs> bunch of them are ready. That is so
0: true. And for any UMC person out there listening to this, we will be posting through it all, all the way through General Conference 2021. I may just get a Twitch stream and just like live stream the whole entire conference.
2: Is it still going to be in Minneapolis? Oh, yeah. We're at our live show. Live, very show, very first I'm live show, There it
0: is. At the end of the pandemic, God will reward us with another General Conference.
2: Awesome. Oh, that and, is it. A- Phrasing right there.
0: <laughs> and we will have a until we get canceled live show in Minneapolis next end of August, early September, whatever the dates are for the GC. I will
2: not look them up. Put it on your Twitter feed right now, Isaac, because you know your Twitter feed is is the harbinger of things to come. So put it up there, pin it right at the top. I will. And I will not have it deleted like my good clippers take. <laughs> Supposed clippers take. Nobody saw
0: it. <laughs> <Ollie>. <laughs> Carrie, I guess let me form a question then. What is your? I mean, do you? Does that image that we've given of Mary Magdalene as this kind of deeply mis, misunderstood figure within sort of mainline theology resonate with your path growing up in the UMC? Your relationship to scripture as um, a person that you know wrestled with their identity in a denomination that is non-affirming in most places, like uh, you know, as in some ways we want Mary the Magdalene to be sort of like a cipher for that journey because it's out of that that we feel like this kind of new expression of faith is needed. What has your experience with some of that been?
1: Yeah, it's funny that we ended up talking about the Da Vinci Code like right at the beginning (laughs) because I do think that um, because I I was in sixth grade in 2006 when the movie came out. So the book had been kind of in the water for a little while before that. And I think people, I mean, I just remember Christians being like really concerned, but also like no one, I mean, people were like, Jesus wasn't married, obviously, but no one was really refuting the claims about Mary Magdalene, right? That she was kind of this fallen woman or that she was a sex worker, which as Brian stated, was like kind of a a misunderstanding of who she was that came up really early in Christian history. And so I... I don't remember people being like, the issue with the Da Vinci Code is their portrayal of Mary Magdalene. Um, So that didn't really get disproven for me. And I was like, well, I guess they're saying, I read the book, and so I guess they're saying the correct things about Mary. It's like the Jesus stuff that's the issue. It wasn't until a lot later that um, I heard the interpretation of Jesus appearing to Mary first before anyone else, and of Mary Magdalene being like the first proclaimer of the gospel and that was really a revelatory for me, because I am also a person who uh, has felt a call to ministry from quite a young age. And growing up in the United Methodist Church uh, in Texas, there are still some pretty like loud contingents of people who like don't think that women should be in ministry at all. And and I was assigned female. Um, I'm non-binary, but you know was raised as a girl in mainline churches, and so. Uh, on top of like kind of uh, figuring out my own identity regarding my gender and my sexuality, it was also like, I also had to uh, just fight to uh, see myself as, as someone like worthy of my call to ministry. And I think Mary Magdalene was, uh, I just really loved her. Like I got, I got really into Mary Magdalene, especially in high school and college, just because uh, she was such a subversive figure and someone who who felt like outside the mainstream, but she's literally right next to Jesus, like the whole time. And also there's not a lot of speaking parts for women in the gospels. And so it was also like, well, I got to pick a woman. (laughs) Mary Magdalene might as well be it.
2: (laughs) Well, I just think that you know, one of the things I I had a similar thing, like, so I grew up, I know one of you is going to dunk on me for this, but one of the biggest, like, not spiritual moments, but like where I've really first started being like, oh, this is something in my life was when I was in sixth grade and listening to Jesus Christ Superstar. And so like part of the Jesus Christ Superstar now that you, do you want to go ahead and do it now, Isaac, before I continue? (laughs) Uh, But I. But I, okay, you know, all that said, I'm old, I can't help it. But there, you know, that was kind. Of, that's kind of embedded into the musical as well, like this, or the rock opera as well, as the fact that you know this is who she is. But part of my kind of unlearning of that story and uh, appreciation of Mary Magdalene became when uh, somebody had told me, like, one of what if one of the ways reasons why Mary Magdalene is kind of portrayed in that way is because of, you know, her her connection with Jesus was just so like spiritually, like she has such a unique spiritual connection to Jesus that. It was offensive or combative, or and somehow you know it rubbed the, the male disciples the wrong way, and so they did everything they could to kind of work her out of that place. Um, and granted, that's kind of an un—it's there's some there's some shining needed onto on that thought. But it, it was the same way for me, where it's all of a sudden like, oh, this is somebody that's actually you know very engaging to me theologically, and and someplace that I would like to kind of I guess if I'm looking for a a, a patron saint of sorts, this is the person that I'm kind of going after as opposed to some of these men
0: you know i think one of the sad realities about the united methodist church is that we've been ordaining women i think longer than any other mainline denomination in the united states and that's still carry what you're describing the experience of of you know women in every appointment that they get like oh i was hoping for somebody else or or whatever and and i think on some level it it kind of um Kind of holds up this light about like the ideal versus the reality in, in so many mainline settings, especially when it comes to scripture. Because I think that on one of the deadly things about it is that there's, I mean, it, it's easy to just go ahead and say it that like there's a lot of biblical illiteracy within mainline denominations. And yet there's also this kind of like, you know, and, and instead of biblical literacy, there's kind of just this culture of niceness. As long as you fit the norm, everybody's going to be nice to you and they'll pray for you and it's very friendly. But as soon as you break the mold of whoever it is that's accepted and and kind of embraced or or desired as a new member in your congregation, suddenly there's this like kind of bottom layer of biblical literalism that can rear its head where it's like, oh, well, we've detected deviancy. So now we need to unlock or like suddenly every person who secretly is listening to Jerry Falwell is going to like pipe up with their hot take about why this person should be kicked out of the church.
1: Yeah, that was, that was very much my experience um, and my family's experience. I mean, we don't have to get into it, but like, I mean, it did the biblical literalism reared its ugly head uh, a few years ago. And my parents and I had to leave our home church because of it. Um, basically because my parents wouldn't, wouldn't condemn me for being gay. So, and And that was in a United Methodist Church that was formerly like everyone loved me and everyone was very nice. (laughs) And uh, they would have called themselves middle of the road and conservatives, liberals were all Christians here until there was, um, you know, until there was an issue, a a divisive issue. And then suddenly, you know, things, (laughs) things got heated.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, uh, so, Carrie, let me let me kind of ask another question about this if that's all right i mean where did that like where did that leave you you know so you had, you wrote a sort of viral blog post for the reconciling ministries network and, you know talking about like what it meant for your parents to leave that church and like what the pastor so basically can you tell us a little bit about the piece and, and some more of the details of uh, what happened to sort of the inciting event that you talk about in that post
1: Yeah, so this was back in the summer of 2017. Uh, So I had come out um, as a lesbian like not even a year before, and I grew up in this church that was very dear to my heart. And they had uh, sent me, they like financially supported me when I was an international missionary, and I was then living in Seattle, and they were still you know praying for me and like my parents went there my dad was in the praise band we were really enmeshed in this church and then so well um for non UMC listeners pastors in the UMC get appointed to churches and so you don't you don't quite get to choose where you go if you're a pastor and so our pastor got reassigned um and it was it was a good thing for him it was a career move up he was going to be like at a bigger church um because he had done Really great things in our congregation. So we were all really excited for him. But the new pastor that got assigned, like pretty much immediately, uh, made his stances clear on, you know, on LGBTQ issues and on where the church should go if there's going to be a split in the denomination and and said it pretty explicitly in the first couple of sermons. And so I wrote a blog post. because my parents left the church after some like failed attempts to talk to the pastor and try to get him to see their side of things and to um, maybe just literally all they wanted was for him not to like condemn gay people from the pulpit. That was like, that was their main thing was like, you know, our kid is gay and we would love it if you didn't say they were going to hell from the pulpit on Sunday mornings, you know, kind of regardless of what you feel in your own heart. Um, And so we wouldn't do it, and so my parents decided to leave the church, and it was a really heartbreaking decision for them. Uh, And in the midst of that, I I actually posted on my personal blog first, because I was the blogger. (laughs) And I, I wrote a blog that was really meant for about 200 people in my church community about why my parents were leaving the church, and why I thought that the pastor's position on queer people was untenable. And... Uh, then the reconciling ministries network reposted it and it went pretty viral <laughs> and and things got got pretty big after that but yeah the original post was just um about the ways that that church had formed my parents lives and my lives or my life my brother and i's lives and uh the the i mean just the deep hurt that that was having to leave a place that was truly home to us for so many years so
2: well and carrie i don't Carrie and I knew one another through a, a separate connection, but I don't know if you know this or not. So I actually read that blog when you when it started kind of catching up. And this was right about the time that my daughter had come out to us and she was going through confirmation in the Methodist church. And the blog was a huge reason for me to be like, you know what? We can't do this. I and mean, we can't do this. Like, even though our church right now is very accepting and very open and they love her, it's just like, we never know who is going, like you said, going to come down the road into this role. And I don't want... Nora having this kind of experience of church, basically, uh, and so that was kind of the reason why, why we ended up finally jumping into the Episcopal Church. So I, I don't know if it's a thank you or or what it is, but it was. I think the the reach of that blog is. I know you, there's some contentious, you know, uh, feelings possibly about how big it, it got, but I think it did actually kind of put to, to words and articulate something that a lot of people felt across a bunch of spectrums of age in place. And so somebody like me as a parent who was kind of walking with my, our daughter through that at the time, uh, it was a, a, a very clear and able way to be able to say like, nope, we're not going to do this. We're not going to put her in any kind of harm's way just because I have you know, Wesleyan theological opinions on things. And then it made that jump possible. So.
1: Wow. Yeah. That's that's amazing. <laughs> No, I think the first time we met, you were like, I've read your blog. And I'm pretty sure I said out loud, oh, oh my God. Yeah,
2: no. <laughs> well, because what the funny thing about that is like that was happening in real time. Like I had so Carrie and I went to the same MFA program at, at different times and I was there visiting and we were talking and you were saying stuff and I was like, wait a minute, the, Wait, is this this that blog? And and it just kind of—it was happening in real time in my head, which is never a good thing for anybody, given how bad I am at kind of contemporaneous uh, uh, speaking. But yeah, that it was—that is exactly what you said, and I was like, "Oh no, no, don't apologize." That was like one of the greatest things I've ever read.
0: Wow, Brian, you're uh, you're really instilling confidence in our listeners
2: about your podcast skills when you say (laughs) things like, "I'm terrible at contemporaneous speaking." (laughs) Well, it's not that. It's just like when I get excited. Okay. So yeah, the, we should just call this the dunking on Brian podcast. Like, any, like oh, Brian, the olds. I'm just going to fulfill that boomer mentality of just like, I don't know about these kids and all that hip hop. Uh, that's going to be my just my t- take on everything. Uh, no, it's just like when I get kind of, I was going to say when I get excited, I have a little bit of ADHD and I, I can say things that, that doesn't, yeah, it's going to be bad. Until we get canceled, basically, is the perfect name for this podcast if I'm going to be on it. There you go.
0: Everybody pray for Brian and all the
2: insecurities he's dealing with openly on the pod. Just just going to start um, like monologuing about like and then I don't know about this whole Jesus thing and like I'm I'm like on the process of getting ordination but I just don't know. It's going to be like 50 minutes of straight of that and eventually you guys are just going to have, have gone long off so
1: yeah. Truly just posting through it.
2: Yeah, it's just like Yeah, yeah. well We always encourage that
0: here at the Magdalene Podcast Network. Always post through it, folks. Never stop posting, no matter what happens. And we promise to always do that. We will never stop posting. I I do want to kind of talk a little bit more about some of this, though, because it it gets to something that I, I hope that the podcast can help us explore. And so, Carrie, after you and your parents left that church... What sort of questions did y'all have to wrestle with? Or did you, you know, before entering into a community again, or was there a seamless transition to stuff? Like what, what happened in the aftermath?
1: Yeah. So it's been, um, <clears throat> about three years since, uh, it all sort of happened. And so I am, I'm now Episcopalian, been confirmed and everything, but I was kind of like already on the path to, um, leaving the UMC when that happened um I was doing the Episcopal Service Corps at the time which free ad for the Episcopal Service Corps I love them if you're considering it do it but yeah I I I felt very burned because all of the people that raised me um like my literally my Sunday school teacher from 6th grade was horrific to me. I had to block him on all social media. And um, and his son is like one of my best friends. Like we still talk every day, but I don't have a relationship with his family anymore because of just like all of the ways that that blog blew up. And so for me, it was really hard to trust Christian community after that, even in the Episcopal church um, who are open and affirming and all that. And so I I didn't go to church for a long time. I was working as a youth pastor. And so I like, I went to church for that, but it was, that was kind of a different, like I I was on the tail end of that. And after I ended that position, I just didn't go for a long time, um, which is not, I guess, maybe not a good Christian take. (laughs) Please hear all my thoughts on Mary Magdalene now, (laughs) a person who hasn't gone to church in three years, but but my parents um, were still very committed to the UNC, but they were very, they were also very hurt and they've been very tentative in getting back into any sort of Christian community. Um, they pretty much, they go on Sundays for the service and they are not really ready to be involved further than that right now. They they really check out every pastor's theology, social media posts, Like they they take it all way more seriously than they did before just because they're they're afraid of the same thing happening, and uh, they don't really want to switch denominations. But my mom has said that she doesn't think she can stay. You know, if if the church splits and and the churches in um, in our area are probably mostly going to go WCA, and so she doesn't think she can stay if they do that.
0: So WCA block me on social media. That's all I can say. It's my <laughs> one of my goals of the pod is to get blocked by the WCA. Honestly,
1: um, I, if Bishop Mike Lowry is listening to this, fight me in the Chili's parking lot. I
0: don't <laughs> care. <laughs> oh, I okay. So I yeah, thank you for sharing that, Gary. But one of the reasons why I wanted to kind of dig into it is because I think that there's this kind of you know a lot of people have have similar stories, right? Either a person in their family or or someone that they love who's not a family member but a friend or a partner has kind of had this alienating experience within the mainline and it takes you know it causes some deep spiritual trauma and 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 i think that it's especially tough for parents the more i think about it because most of the time i'm you know i've served three churches and most of the time they're full of of boomers whose kids don't go to church typically over some sort of cultural thing like this that that carries talking about you know their their kids just have given up on it because of inclusion, because of racism, or who knows what. I mean, there are a thousand reasons. It just stopped meaning something to them. You know, they they never really matured in their faith beyond like what they learned in fifth grade. You know, so I think that what I'm trying to say here is that we the main line has been kind of setting people adrift for decades because of that undercurrent of sort of fundamentalism that's hiding within children's programming, especially in some of these places in like broad daylight. that so basically everything they learn about Christianity is like some facet of the culture war, you know, silver ring thing or, you know, premarital sex or, you know, LGBT inclusion or don't listen to, don't read Harry Potter or don't listen to rock music or some crap that eventually when they grow up and get over, they think, oh, well, then my faith is over. And... People like your parents, Carrie, who have done everything the church asked them to do and more have been so invested, suddenly find themselves in a place where they can no longer worship with their family because a member of their family's been rejected. And I and I think that this, you know, this kind of vacuum or alienation kind of sends people in a lot of different directions. Sometimes it's to like this really intense deconstruction and they kind of just stay in a deconstructing mode for a long time and and I guess what I think hopefully one of the things that I hope this pod can do is like work on naming that alienation and then try to say okay when you've been like set adrift from everything that the cultural Christianity that we're selling kids and their parents when all of that falls away like how do you make your way back as as a uh, mature christian on your own terms or in contradistinction to the faith of your parents. I mean, a lot of folks are in that boat and where it's like, you know what? I I don't share the same picture that my parents had about the shape of Christian faith. And so I just can't, I just can't have it. Brian, I can see you well, eager to jump in.
2: You're, you hit my, you hit on one of my like soapbox issues here, which is the idea, you, and you nailed it in two different places, which is the idea that what we learn past fifth grade doesn't actually, you know, we don't, we don't really teach people past fifth grade, sixth grade in the Methodist church a lot of times for confirmation that's seen as kind of like the one slot where a kid has to be educated in the faith and to learn kind of the kind of core ideas of discipleship that are going to last them forever. Um, and then you have parents who, for you know, right or wrong, also don't have that, that same kind of knowledge. So when they come into a situation where they have to question their faith or they have to question something that the pastor says, they have no tools to do do that. Um, I, I will refrain from talking about curriculum too much because I know that's what, you know, that's what all the kids want to hear hear about. But curriculum is is a part of that where we teach these things of rather than encouraging kids, uh, teenagers and adults to actively dive into question and think about their faith. We give them things like today's the word is sheep. And it's like it, it, it's it's all like basic and disposable. They're never going to be able to carry that forward. So one of the things that you're just carrying back on what you were saying about the podcast is is that hopefully it's this air, this place for people to be able to, if they're in that deconstruction mode, to be able to start to reconstruct things, but also to be able to have just conversations with other people or be listening to people having conversations with other people about. Things that are actually trying to construct a faith that is going to be relevant in the world right now. I I, I get so frustrated when parents like, well, little, little, uh, I'll just use my daughter's name, Nora, doesn't want to go to confirmation anymore. And, you know, we are going to, we're going to support that because, but we, but then like three years later, they're like, we don't understand why Nora isn't going to church anymore. It's like, well, you're not making it important. Anyway, sermon, that's, there's my mini sermon for the podcast. I think you're, you're really right is that the idea of the podcast is kind of plugging into something that churches get wrong a lot. They get wrong by thinking that we have to like, figure out how to get people back to church, where I think it's actually, we have to get people just thinking about what it means to even like, think in the world or be a part of the world from like, a Christian perspective and lens. Did I just stop the podcast with my little uh, uh, full stop sermon?
1: No, I just don't have much to add. Oh. No, I agree.
2: <laughs> One of the hopes here, I mean,
0: I, I think that there's some podcasts out there, I'm already taking shots, whatever. He'd check me. There are some podcasts out there that are kind of designed to make you—you you guys can fight deconstruct in the back the-
2: for the rest of your life. You
0: guys can fight in the back
2: alley of Chili's.
0: That's right. We've already called out a bishop.
2: We may as well just call out. Calling out a bishop might be a little bit higher than calling out, say, the liturgist, if we want to really put a name to it. So anyway. Yeah, it's the liturgist. Um,
1: Well, but Mike Lowry doesn't have a Twitter presence and Michael Gunger, (laughs) (laughs) He will. We'll do it. My My friend has been blocked by Michael Gunger for like years now because he told him he was being racist.
2: Friend of the show then. (laughs)
1: <laughs> Gungor
2: and, yeah, yeah. I'm oh, sorry,
0: but Mike Flowery can get a Twitter profile after he uh, renames himself after a Hindu religious figure like uh, Michael Gunger did. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> So uh, I, I so making I guess,
2: enemies day one. This is where we should have started the podcast. Right here is where we should have pressed record.
0: <laughs> I'm just trying to get their Patreon numbers, okay? Right. I'm trying to be a full time gamer and a stay at home dad and work on the podcast farm for the sustainability of the earth, okay? So smash the subscribe button, all of our faithful Magdalen heads. Um, no, but I seriously, there's some podcasts out there that want you to deconstruct forever, and evangelical culture wants you to kind of be in that deconstruction phase forever. And and there's nothing wrong with like questioning your faith. What we're, I guess what I'm trying to say is that by connecting it with lived experience, what we're trying to say to folks is actually the way to you know reconnect with your faith in a in a one way to do it. One way, you know, is to have a faith that suddenly has something to say about conditions on the ground, material conditions. And we can like have scripture speak to us anew when we look for what our material conditions tell us about the Bible and how it speaks to those as well, and so you know, I guess what I'm trying to say is, if you want to be a Christian again after falling away, you just need to get good Marxist politics. And I thought you were going to say, if you want to be a Christian again, you had to you had to subscribe. I thought
2: that's where you're going with that. <laughs>
0: well, I mean, I I will baptize any subscriber that sends me a about of water. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh no. No,
1: but I mean, like, my friend uh, D.L. Mayfield, who's a writer, um, if you don't follow her, you should, but uh, she likes to paraphrase Dorothy Day and say, like, if it's not good news for the poor, then it's not the good news. And and speaking to reconstructing after, like, a horrible faith event or deconstructing your faith, like, that's, that's really what kept me in the faith after, uh, you know, the, the great nervous breakdown of 2017, like, post- post horrible blog post experience was that, was that I truly, I mean, I guess I just truly believed that, that Jesus has good news for, for all people. And, and looking at who that good news is for is what kept me grounded in a faith in Jesus and not in a faith in, in the institutional structures of the United Methodist Church or of any other church, which I don't know, sounds kind of trite to say out loud, but, but like, uh, I come back to it a lot in the pandemic as well of like, I easily slide into nihilism on your average day because the world is on fire. But, but I also have this bedrock belief in in Jesus and in the, in the message of the gospel that keeps me from like completely losing it every day.
0: Yeah. I mean, we can, we all doom scroll right late at night. You know, it's, it's, Especially with like the debate and everything, its it's almost become like a communal event to sort of like punish ourselves by watching Biden and Trump scream at each other. <laughs> but, you know as if that'll make anything better. My feed on Facebook was like people posting about ready to watch the debate with like, you know, huge glasses of wine in their hands. And then, like, three hours later, why did I watch this? <laughs> I mean, I think that that's ultimately it, right? Is that so often, We've confused the institution for christ and and uh, and this is ultimately a failure of of those institutions of pastors to prevent harm within our sanctuaries, but also to like help people understand that institutions i feel like it you know if ever there's been a re- a there just seem to be a series of referendums coming over and over and over again on institutions in the life of a millennial you know. Bush v. Gore, 9/11, the Iraq War, the financial crisis in 2008, the you know torture program, the election of Trump, the you know the pandemic and I, there there just isn't a single institution that's gone untouched by it and uh in the midst of that what i found that gives me hope is connecting with folks in the streets for local organizing and and taking like this big picture thing that a lot of times Methodists are taught to think like, we're going to go transform the world, you know, by making disciples and we're going to cure malaria with the help of Bill Gates. Now, you know, I don't know how much imaginable malaria you got into, Carrie, but that's... We were,
1: yeah, we were pretty big into it.
0: Yeah, every, every Methodist lost their mind. It was like, Bill Gates and us... We're going to, you know, end malaria. Meanwhile, it's probably like a population control mechanism by Bill Gates. And there's some conspiracy theories out there that he's just like sterilizing Africans by giving them malaria drugs. Uh, Allegedly. Allegedly. (laughs) The the Uh,
1: hottest take of the pod so far. (laughs) And on
0: that note. Four minutes before we have to sign off. I'm just saying we're getting, we ended with, started with conspiracy and ended with it. Um, and the gospel shown through for a moment. But there are some posts out there. Follow the money. I emoji. Anyway, the thing I, was, the thing I was trying to say is that when I think so many of us have been taught to view history through this lens of institutions are going to take us to progress. And what I've seen in my five years as a pastor and, and all of, you know the crap that's happened since then is that actually the thing that's going to, that keeps bringing me hope is like local communities fighting for each other on the ground and in the midst of the thick of things in places where we can make real tangible change. Maybe this is a good place to throw to Brian to talk about what he's learned about that at Minneapolis this summer.
2: Well, I mean, (laughs) yeah, I mean, part of it is I think the the work that still needs to be done on my own end, right? Where it's this is this goes back to something kind of what we were talking about, but this idea of, or at least I'll just go to it is that there's an there's a there's a section of the the so-called liberal progressive church that I think that thinks that we're already so far down the road on these kind of conversations and these topics and these actions when we realize we're actually just taking those first steps. And there's a huge reckoning that's happening, I think, especially in our church right now, about you know, thinking of ourselves as these good. White progressive people who you know are sad when RBG passed away and are going to vote for Biden and thinking that that is the kind of stuff that's actually going to save us. When I'll throw it back to what what Carrie was saying, which is instead what should be the focus and what is going to kind of make this like transformation happen in the Twin Cities. And you know, I still kind of maybe naively believe about the whole like transformation of the entire world. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna rest on that until I get until I get proof otherwise, but. I think that resting in that, I guess is the is the place where a lot of us here are that's the work that we actually need to be doing for just for a lot of the christians that are that are kind of around here, I think immediately shoved into action. and when there was something very big happening and we could get out in the streets and we could either clean or protest or do things like that, that was a very easy way to act and to kind of be engaged and to to say this is what we believe. But now that things have calmed down a little bit and it's not as evident, the question becomes what do white people especially, what's the work that actually we need to be doing in the community? And that's a lot harder question for a lot of people because they've never seen, they've never actually been a part of the communities here. They've only been in their little bubble and only kind of, I guess, jumping into stuff when something pops off across the bigger culture. I mean, that's, that's, I don't know if that's the answer that you were looking for, Isaac. But that's kind of what I've been seeing is like the reckoning happening right now with liberal Christians, especially white Christians, is pretty massive. They're they're going, I think, through a a huge phase of deconstruction right now, trying to figure out: Am I actually doing coming at this from a Christian point of view, or am I coming at it from purely like a like a liberal type of like, I want to be a part of a nonprofit point uh, point of view. And it's, that's something that's a huge clash right now, whether the church should be based in the gospel or the church should be based in a nonprofit uh, sort of uh, mentality that's stripped of all theology.
0: Perfect time to launch your podcast.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. Well, I was trying to think of like, we should have actually ended this episode when you, uh, when either when we called out the bishop or, or Michael Gunger or, um, or one of those things, because then we could begin. you know, until we get canceled, we'll see you next time until we get canceled or unless we get canceled, it's because we've already hit all the spots. I don't even know if we have to actually record any more episodes. This is kind of it right here. Like, right? we just, we peaked once again. Thanks for coming on, Carrie. <laughs> You've seen the top. <laughs> and, and apparently the bottom,
1: the only, <laughs> only bottom. <laughs> it's like uh, the first Carrie, season of Freaks last... and
2: Geeks. It's just like, it's just going to live in posterity, like just perfect in this one, one instance. Well,
0: you think people are uh, gonna get mad about this pod? Wait until our next guest comes to talk about uh, enemies and and church, and people are gonna get big mad. But Carrie, would you take us out with any final thoughts? How would you? How would you, Carrie Serba, fix the mainline church?
1: Well, on a serious note, I would start listening to the young people in the church because uh, in the context that I'm in right now. There's a there's a lot of lip service to social justice, and there is very little actual listening to young people who want to make substantive changes to the church, and who I think are on the right track. So you know what? If you've got some up and coming twenty five year olds who desperately want to be a part of your church, well, put them on the vestry, <laughs> or, or the SPRC, or whatever.
2: Or make ordination. Let rename both <laughs> committees. <laughs> To so make ordination not be eight years long.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I could go on, but that's my, that's my off the top of the head. Off the dome, that's what I've got.
0: Not knowing anything about the Episcopal Church, except that you have to worship the queen. I just assume that in order to be confirmed in it, you
2: have to be able
0: to name all the weird pieces of clothing that the priests wear. Oh, I absolutely can't.
2: That's only on, on weird, as they call it Weird Anglican Twitter, which is a whole nother podcast. Uh mm-hmm. where they just kind of just get off on all of that kind of stuff over there. So and that's where Carrie is one of my favorite persons to uh to text is to be like, what the hell are these people talking about? Uh it's it's when it's when progressive uh people just kind of go off the rails and get closer to evangelicalism as they than they think they do. The
1: cancelable opinions are in the DMs. <laughs>
2: and maybe that's how we should end that's how we should end every podcast Isaac is like you know Carrie, give us your most uh, cancel worthy uh, take (laughs) it doesn't have to really be
0: well unfortunately this podcast is all about bringing the DMs into the light because this is an (laughs) apocalyptic age and all takes will be revealed until we get canceled that's good